where do innovations come from, these big ideas? I think to me, it, it's a myth that they must come from disciplines in STEM, the sciences, the, the technology, the, the math, the physics and such. I have seen great ideas come from other disciplines, from people in psychology or business or economics. So there's this perception that your idea has to be really big for you to get funding. It's not really the case because investors, on the other hand, are willing to fund the simplest of solutions. Anything that will make life easy, anything that will move people from using or polluting the environment to clean energy or something. Very simple solutions that really don't um, have to plague people. This is the Nairobi Ideas Podcast, a podcast that gives a public platform to the Africans changing the world with their big ideas. I'm your host, Karimugo of the Mawazo Institute. This episode is brought to you as part of our African Futures series, exploring Africa's future through the eyes of its next generation of researchers. You can find more episodes from the series wherever you found this episode. Today, I am so excited to share with you a recording of a discussion that we hosted back in July on the research to commercialization pipeline. During the discussion, we invited researchers to begin to think about the commercial potential of their research and how to get investment for these impactful ideas that they are developing. We also unpacked how gender intersects with the investment landscape, where women are both underrepresented as innovators and investors. So in this recording, you will hear from Kim Andrew Potvin, who is a partner at Bamboo Capital Partners, which is an impact investing platform. Kim is also the board chair of the Mawazo Institute. You'll also hear from Carol Masila-Maiko, who is an international lawyer and legal associate at Persistent Energy, which is a firm that makes investments in African climate ventures. Faith Wilson, a venture builder at Persistent Energy, also joins the discussion. Lastly, you'll hear from Professor Maina Mwangi, who is the Director of Innovation Incubation and University Industry Linkages at Kenyatta University. The discussion was moderated by Dr. Fiona Moyes, who is the CEO of the Moazo Institute and a marine scientist herself. Friends of Moazo, our fellow fellows, our alumni, uh, women with big ideas, welcome. This is a Nairobi Ideas Exchange event. It's looking at really gender lens investing, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it. But first, I just want to set a little bit of the scene. 2160, what is that? 2160 is the year that according to some reports, Africa will reach gender parity. That's 140 years. 140 years, so definitely not in my lifetime, not my daughter's lifetimes, not their daughter's lifetimes, and not their daughter's lifetime. And the way great things are going, that's what we're looking at. So we have to play our part. We have to do something to change that and, 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 and accelerate that a little bit. And, and this lack of gender parity is, is, is one of the major contributors as to why Africa isn't reaching its full potential. And at Mawaza, we're doing our little part. We are ensuring that, that African ideas are building Africa's future. We support African women researchers who are curious, they're creative, analytical, critical, and we want to ensure that their unique perspectives and ideas are being felt and heard in places where impactful solutions are being designed and implemented. And we do this through, through two main programs. The first is the Mawaza Learning Exchange Fellowship Program where we provide professional development training, mentorship, funding, networking, access to opportunities uh, to PhD students across the East African region. Apart from the fellowship program, we also work to elevate the, the, and spotlight the work of African researchers with a focus on the, the work of women researchers through our Mawaza Voices program, which includes a lot of public engagement and policy engagement activities. 
In June, we launched the theme, which is African Futures. And this campaign uh, showcases the work of researchers and, and subject matter experts who are working within the larger East African region uh, and whose areas of expertise address development needs across six main areas. The future of education, the need for curiosity-driven science on the continent, future of food and its security, the future of African cities, the future of health, and lastly, approaches to climate change adaptation. And this event is the first in-person event under that theme. Because we, we believe that the future of Africa requires us to be deliberate about how we drive and encourage innovation, and creating clear linkages between research, innovation, and commercialization for impact. And that includes ensuring ideas of African women have the same opportunities for commercialization as everybody else, which is a huge task. And it starts with events like this you know, where we demystify what it means and, and inspire women with ideas. And like many of you sitting in the room, to be left thinking that this is attainable, even when there isn't many examples for us to look up to. We want to leave you with an insight of what it means to turn an idea, and that could be an idea that you're working on through your research journey, or something you stumbled upon across, you know, during your research journey, and turn it into something that will attract investment as a way to ensure that your idea will have a wider societal impact. And I can tell you as a researcher myself, I, this has been a complete mystery to me. I have no idea what it means to, to think about commercializing an idea. Um, and so this is, even for me, a great learning opportunity to find out what is the actual pathway between idea and, and impact. And so to help us learn more, I'm honored to welcome a wonderful panel and, and help us really demystify and debunk some myths uh, around how we can turn ideas into impact. Um, and so the first person I'd like to introduce is Kim Andre Potvin. Uh, or Kim, as we, we, we call her, <laughs> who's a native of Canada and has spent the last 20 years in Europe in various C-level roles, really high-level roles, uh, doing asset management, private banking, and fund administration services. Um, but she's also a dedicated conservationist, humanitarian and advisor to entrepreneurs in Europe and Africa, and is involved in numerous boards, including Moazos. And so, welcome, Kim. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we then have Carol Masila Maiko who's a legal associate at Persistent and based in Nairobi. She's an international lawyer qualified in Kenya and has seven years of legal experience. Carol has extensively advised established uh, companies, impactful in startup ventures, and social enterprises on various projects in Africa, relating to electric mobility, education technology, financial technology, private equity, mergers and acquisition, and the list goes on. Um, welcome, Carol. Next, we have Faith. Uh, Faith is a venture builder at Persistent uh, and working as an investment associate and, and venture advisor focused on identifying and evaluating investments, as well as offering venture building support to companies across Southern Afri uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, she, she is also a qualified public accountant uh, and has over five years progressive experience in consulting and, and advisory services. Welcome, Faith. And last, but definitely not least, we have Professor Maina Mwangi, who's an associate professor in the School of Agriculture and Enterprise Development at Kenyatta University. He's currently the director um, at the Innovations Incubations at, and University Linkages at Kenyatta University, which hosts the Chandaria Business Innovations and Incubation Center. Welcome, welcome Maina, thank you. We're gonna get started with a very simple question. How do you respond usually when people ask you, you know, what do you do? So do you want to start with Kim and we work our way down? I would like to use the word enthusiast. Um, actually, I think being an enthusiast in life is a way of um, having a perspective on how you want to 
engage and meet new people and learn and have curiosity. So I think that when I was younger, I would present myself in, you know, the uh, title I was having in the company I was working for. Uh, but it, it limits who you are, basically. So who you are is um, linked to your values and what animates you and what is your passion. So in terms of passion, uh, I love meeting new people, discovering new things. Uh, I love being here. So I would describe myself as, as an enthusiast. <laughs> I'm Carol, and I would describe myself as a learner. I enjoy learning, I enjoy new experiences, I enjoy taking in, changing myself, rechanging myself, learning new things, getting myself out of my comfort zone, getting myself into uncomfortable spaces. So I think I would describe myself as a learner, a learner in life, basically. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I think I would describe myself as a, a curious person. Uh, I'm very curious about uh, various aspects of life and um, interacting with different cultures, uh, different people, and which aligns with my love for traveling. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I hope I'm okay. Okay, right, thank you. So, my name is Maina, as has been introduced. My background is in academia and, and research. I spent the last 10 years uh, around the research offices of the university, so I'm around learning environments. Currently, I am at the Innovation Center at the university. What do I do every day? My work really is to listen to the people who come there with ideas, to see those that we can admit and support, to move forward, to grow them into enterprises, and to really figure out what kinds of support we need to extend to them. That's what I do. I am a questioning person. I like to ask <laughs> if things are not working, why are they not working? What can we do differently to make things work? Um, I'm by nature, that, that's really the kind of person I am. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's lovely to kind of get another part, you know, another sense of your character because that I think feeds into the work that you do and, and driving that kind of innovation and, the, you know, future thinking. Um, and so for Kim, just to talk a little bit about uh, the organization that you work for now and where you're a partner, um, Bamboo Capital Partners. Uh, what, what, and it says you're a social impact investment firm. What is, what is social impact investing? Well, actually, it's quite easy. Um, I think it's important to also compare it to traditional finance. So I spent the first 20 years of my career in traditional finance. So traditional finance is, you know, investing so that you have a return. Uh, of course, that's, uh, that's the, the, the standard definition. The, in impact investing, the objective is that you still want to have a return but with an impact and an impact in the, that addresses a challenge either uh, social or environmental. And also this is super important because this is part of the UN definition of what, what is um, impact investing. It also needs to be measured because uh, we're talking to scientists here in the room, so if it's not measured, well, how can you say an advocate that you're really doing that? Also, according to the UN, impact investing can also be um, measured against the Sustainable Development Goals. So I'm assuming everybody is familiar with the SDGs. So there are 17. Uh, among them, there is gender equality. So um, I think this speaks uh, to a lot of people in the room, but there are other, other themes. But... Um, well, this one is close to my heart also. So in impact uh, investing, there are a variety of types of investments uh, along the spectrum. So you can have uh, li listed equities or bonds. But what we do at, at Bamboo is private equity and debt financing. So it's not listed. It's not liquid. And basically, we invest in entrepreneurs in uh, emerging countries. And we invest in entrepreneurs that have a social uh, objective. So 
I think it's important to be practical and to give you um, maybe an example. The best example I use that is very concrete is in energy access. So the objective is to uh, allow people gain uh, access to uh, electricity when they don't have access to it currently. So how do we do that? We invest in companies that build and then distribute solar panels that are about this size. Then um, the families and women and men, they go to the distributor, decide to uh, buy the little kit. Uh, then it's installed by professionals because usually we do not recommend that they install it themselves. In the kit, you have three light bulbs, a TV, and access to a cooker so that you can cook uh, hot food and also boil water. Um, and also it gains and it also allows financial inclusion because uh, these populations don't necessarily have access to a bank account. So they can use pay as you go with their mobile phones. So basically that's a concrete example of how we cater to underserved populations. So it's an investment because we invest in entrepreneurs that have a product and at the end of the day they have a PL and a balance sheet and they have investors. Uh, but the, um, the objective of their company is social and to be able to, um, to address um, yeah, pressing needs. All right. Thank you, Kim. But I just wanted to also ask uh, our representatives, Carol and Faith from Persistent, if you, you know, it says that Persistent is Africa's climate venture builder, uh, investing in both financial capital and human resources in early stage innovation, in innovative climate solutions. What does that mean? And what is the role that you're playing in a carbon neutral econ economic development in Africa? I think I'll go first. Um, so what that means is that uh, Persistent is a climate, climate smart uh, venture builder. So that means, just like uh, Kim uh, explained for Bamboo, we invest in climate smart technologies, and that uh, cuts across up to renewable energy ventures and also businesses like e-mobility companies that whose goal is to uh, reduce carbon emissions from the environment, right? And so I would say that the role, the key role that we play is uh, bringing in our unique model where we invest in early start businesses. And um, these are very young businesses and uh, we are coming in to bridge, to bridge a gap because you find that most investors look for businesses that already are profitable, businesses that are already, already have traction and uh, they're already showing performance, right? Looking at the financial, but then we come in to look at early stage businesses very young, uh, we look at potential and how interesting they are models, right? And um, I'm speaking to researchers here, right? We all have ideas and find that the gap in the economy is the, the finance need. Um, young businesses are, are, are lacking finances. Just the other day, Gogla released a report whereby since COVID, mature businesses are raising finances. Well, the, the amount of funds raised by early stage is going, uh, the graph is going down, yeah. And so persistence uh, milieu um, is uh, young businesses. We come, we evaluate them, we look at them, what's their potential, how interesting are their models, uh, can we support the entrepreneur, can we support what they are trying to do in the economy. Our target is also Sub-Saharan Africa, which is the ideas are right, and uh, trying to fuel uh, renewable energy businesses. And then the second uni unique model is our venture building model, which uh, we shall say, um, value of a finance right so investors come in they bring money but then are you going to walk over and above with the with the entrepreneur entrepreneurs have ideas we all have ideas uh, and you hear our ideas you research on your idea 
But then, if you get finances, you might also need a skill. So we come in, we, we work with, with the entrepreneur, we offer a skill that they may be lack, lacking because they have technical, for example, they have technical capacity in renewable energy, we bring in the finance skill, and we also unhold them as compared to where you might offer capacity, but then leave the entrepreneur. We also, we are, we also become part of their staff. I would say we are bridging the gap of offering both human capacity and financial capacity. I mean, Faith has said it all. That's exactly um, um, the model that we've adopted at Persistent. I think much similar to Bamboo, we invest in equity and using convertible debts as well. And obviously the venture building aspect of it usually does come back into the company as, as equity. It's usually part of the financing. It, it forms part of the financing that is, is given into, into these ventures. So the Innovation Center uh, at Kenyatta University really scouts for ideas from people, everyone, not just the, the young people. The setup was initially focused to the university community, the students, and the, the staff, because we, we have a large, large pool of uh, you know, young people. The, student, the university has a population of over 50,000 students, so a lot of them are doing things that you know, lead to really good ideas, you know, where ideas can come from. And 30% and of the capacity of the center is allocated to people outside the, the university, so we are also catering for the needs of the community outside. Now, what happens is we are an early stage incubator. So the people who come with ideas tend to just have that. It's only the idea. And once we screen them and we see there is potential in this idea, we've got to provide because most of them are looking for support. And this is one of the questions they ask. How can you support me to grow my idea? Now, support can come in different forms. Some of them need uh, mentorship. Like they need some types of expertise. Like you, you want to grow your idea. Maybe you are developing a software. You don't know how to design it very well. Some of them are asking for back-end support. And, and all these, you know, these kind of finances. So one of the things we do is figure out where do we get them people with the expertise to support them as they design and, and develop their ideas. So we are able to do that a little bit internally in terms of the technical uh, uh, mentorship. And then there is the mentorship in moving it to business because it's a whole different thing. You can have the idea, but to, to take it to business, I think we need partners like Persistent and, and Baboon Capital. These are, these are there. And of course, the financing. When people, young people, tend to be limited by lack of resources. And, and one of the questions they're asking us is, how can you link us to those people with capital, with you know, resources to invest in our ideas? And we do uh, provide that support and linkages to uh, either investors, like, like our, our colleagues, or even to industry, people who are already in businesses might want to get that. The other thing we do is provide them a place to sit because people have ideas, but if you don't have a place to sit, get, an in, get internet, get power, you know, the, the really, I, I would say, basic amenities to where you can meet with your partners, you know, building a team. And a very important thing that we provide there is protection because these are intellectual property. It's of concern to us that there's so few of ideas coming to our centers. And it's not only our incubation center, mm -hmm. even looking around the other incubators in Kenya, I think the issues are the same. We've got too few ideas that are led by women, uh, innovators, uh, businesses that are led by, by, by women. And it's a concern. We want to know. We want to understand why. Now, coming from an academic and research environment, we start to look a little bit up the pipeline because we ask ourselves, where do ideas for innovation come from? If we, we sit at this incubation point and wait for ideas to reach us there, it's a bit late. We need to start a little bit early in the pipeline. We need to connect with people doing research earlier on. 
When do we start exposing them to the possibilities that research indeed can go beyond publishing, writing a thesis, publishing a paper, and taking it, growing it into an, an enterprise? I don't know how many people here, when you went to school, you learned this in the curriculum, that you can do research and it, it can tra translate to you know, a business. We hear about it with Google, Facebook, and such other you know, big ideas happening elsewhere. But in our local context, our curriculum needs something you know, to unlock so that we can train you know, better. If you look at how research itself is structured and even funded and supported, there's something lacking because a lot of the grants give you money to do research until you finish and maybe you publish a paper or write a thesis and that's it. And we need to ask a question. Why can't we structure grants that are also providing you with the support to go to the next step to commercialization? And, and even the way research is filtered so that we already start asking you, Ali, do you see the possibility of an innovation coming out of this that can solve a real problem facing humanity and in the process, you know, do business? It's great to kind of compare what's happening here locally to what's globally happening. It's a representation of what's going on globally as well. Globally, men account for a majority of partners in the top 100 venture uh, capital firms, and women make up only 17% of board members and 21% of executive committees at companies. In Africa, while 46% of ventures include a female founder, only 9% of startups have all women founding teams. Do you have kind of insight into why women are underrepresented as both financiers and, and founders in private sector leadership roles? And how does this affect which people and ideas investors are willing to take a chance on supporting? I have been in finance for the last 23 years. I worked in a very big corporation and now I'm in a small, pure uh, impact player where we are 30 people. So I would say that um, there are two lens we can look at it. We can look at it from the culture of the company and then your personal way of looking at things. And I would say that they are um, the same everywhere I've worked. So I've been in 50 countries, I've lived in five uh, on various continents. And even though it's expressed culturally differently, uh, sometimes more discreetly than being more open, um, addressing uh, gender diversity is the same all over the world. Um, so from my experience, I would say that coming from the women themselves, um, they are less risk, they are more risk averse, they, less, they, they tend to take less risk because women are much more uh, conscious about what they are very skillful at and what they don't know. So uh, I, I used to manage 700 people for about 10 years and I had in my teams sometimes opportunities where I asked women to step in as managers of very big teams and half of the time they would say no. They would themselves um, think about, well, if I, I take this responsibility, it's going to take me more time, then I will be less focused on my family and I personally will not deal well with it. Um, so I think that women are much more conscious about how they juggle and tackle their personal and professional lives. Um, and, and men, when you propose a job to them, they don't think, or at least they don't say it to you very openly. They don't, they don't say, well, I don't have these skills. They will say, well, of course I can do that. <laughs> so it's, it's a mindset, it's a perspective. It, we're still very much biased. And I would say also coming from the, the culture of companies, uh, in a very big corporation I used to, to work for, men tend to choose men. Uh, it's, it's, 
maybe women tend to choose women too. I think we're, 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 even though we say we need to be diverse and inclusive and think about a lot of criteria, uh, we, we do have biases. So it's, it's easier uh, to, to interact with people that you're familiar with. Um, so I would say that, um, for instance, at Bamboo, we are a very small uh, company, very international. We are in five countries. And, for, and so our culture is, it's, is much more inclusive and basically it's, it, it, it's something that is natural. So for instance, the, the fund managers, so fund managers is the highest level in, in the investment teams. We have now more fund managers that are women than men. Uh, not because we wanted it to happen like that. Uh, it just happened because we have a culture that is uh, you know, catering to this. But I don't think we're really making a difference saying we need women or, or we need a quota. No, it just happened because it's, it's a matter of skill sets and it's a matter of credibility and it's a matter of earning the position. When I was one of the few women in managerial roles, various times in my career, uh, a lot of people were, were asking me, well, wh why aren't there more women? Well, Actually, it's very difficult to answer that, but we, we, we need to not have biases. I was not thinking, well, I'm a woman, so I cannot do that. It's also because I was raised that way. Um, so, and I did not want anybody to say, well, she was promoted because we needed a quota. I wanted that people recognize that it's because of my skills, it's because of my passion, my enthusiasm, and everything I put in the job, not because it's because of the quota. And I don't think any woman anywhere in the world wants to say, well, I was nominated because they needed to have a woman there. So I think it's a question of, of, of both uh, how women see themselves and think things are possible. And I also believe in corporate cultures and we need to cater to corporate cultures so that it's inclusive. And because this culture is inclusive, that people understand both women and men that if they have the skills, then they can make it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that this conversation is like not even sector specific, you know, in academia to, to, to everything. And I think you've already touched on it a little bit, you know, why women founders, particularly in Africa, struggle to find and attract investment. I wanted to ask all of you if you could say like one myth, the biggest myth about startups and investment and how that myth impacts our innovation ecosystem if the you know and this is kind of moving a little bit away from the gender it has to do with the gender aspect of course but what are the myths that that that, that surround that and why you know you only find certain people kind of thinking that that's a thing that they could do and others think no i can't do that or it's so different it's not my world i think one is where do innovations come from these big ideas i think to me it, it's a myth that they must come from disciplines in STEM, the sciences, the, the technology, the, the math, the physics and such. I have seen great ideas come from other disciplines, from people in psychology or business or economics. That's one myth. And even to correct this uh, lack of parity, because we have women really very strong in all these different disciplines. There is a possibility to get good ideas from there that can grow into business. That's one. The other one is that uh, innovations are coming from either academic or research institutions. I don't think so. I, and this is a problem because when we think that innovations are only coming from research or academic institutions, there is a tendency to concentrate focus and effort on these types of institutions. Innovations exist even outside. There are people who have already gone through the education pipeline, they're outside, they're in business. They're innovating, they have great ideas. And, and we need also to look there so that we are not uh, losing out. 
uh, I think, and even investors need also to, to keep their antennas open, to scout for ideas and provide a pathway for people with ideas who are outside of this institutional ecosystem to enter. That's very, very important. I'll ask you, Faith, what, what do you think is the, the big myths that, that have... I think the biggest myth that I've seen is um, the fact that uh, there's an indication that there's no limited opportunity, and I'll sort of focus mine in Africa. There's been this myth that there's limited opportunity in Africa. But then I found that there's a lot of opportunity, especially since I started working with uh, Persistent and also in interacting with companies like Bamboo. I mean, there are ideas out there. I've seen innovative companies. And this, I'm only speaking around uh, renewable energy. But then also in other sectors, right, there's in, there are entrepreneurs who are coming out with brilliant ideas, right? Especially in um, companies, for example, in mobility, just as um, we are seeing, I think all of you know uh, Basigo, e-mobility, is, it's already coming in Nairobi. And so I, I think there are ideas. There's opportunity in terms of ideas, and there's also opportunity in terms of funding. So I think there's also a myth that uh, there's limited funding out there. And um, it, it sort of, the myth sort of discourages uh, researchers, because you're always told, like, um, in this Nairobi, in this Kenya, in this Africa, I mean, how are you going to raise funding, right? If you're in a developed country, it's going to be easier for you. But then here, it's, it's, I think uh, it, someone will tell you it's hard. How are you going to, uh, who are you going to approach? Where are you going to get the money to turn it into an enterprise? But uh, look at it, look at the panel here. There's from the capital, there's persistent, there's professor here who are literally training researchers to grow their ideas too to enterprises. So I just want to emphasize that I think it's a myth and I think there is potential to, to turn your idea into a real enterprise and to own it and to turn it into something useful and to raise funding for it. There are people in the ecosystem, in the space, and again, speaking only for renewable energy, I know there are players in the economy who are looking for these brilliant ideas because all of us are working towards net zero, right? And so there are people looking out for these ideas who need maybe to put more effort, like Professor said, to scout for these ideas, and are, the ideas are not limited. Yeah. I agree completely with my panelists. I'll just add on a couple of myths from the perspective of startups and founders, because I've worked, I worked with a number of them previously before I joined Persistent. So I was in networks with, with startup founders and not necessarily um, of startups that have gotten funding. So I think one thing that I learned, well, two things that I learned while interacting with, with um, these startups is there's, there's a concept, misconception that an idea has to be grand. It has to change the world. It has to move things. It's, you have to come up with the next the big thing. It can't be it can't be a solution to a pen or it can't be a solution to water or it can't be a really small solution to maybe a boardroom meeting and booking space. So there's this perception that your idea has to be really big for you to get funding. It's not really the case um, because investors on the other hand are willing to fund the simplest of solutions, anything that will make life easy, anything that will move people from um, using or polluting the environment to clean energy or something, very simple solutions that really don't um, have to plague people. The other myth is that your startup or your company has to be profitable. So it has to be a running company. It has to be, 
it has to have a good book, it has to be running, it has to, you have to have shown that you have traction, you have clients, you have customers, you have a good base, you, you know, you have a business going on for you and you've tried and tested it and you're sure for you to approach an investor. Well, it's not really the case that invest, many investors would require that because some of them are just looking to test out a space and they'll be looking to test out a space with an idea. So it's as easy as approaching and saying, I have this idea for this new space. It might work, it might not work. They're willing to take the risk just as you are willing to take the risk. So I think that's one of um, the other um, myths that I've learned with interacting with startups. I totally concur with my fellow panelists. I would add two myths. Uh, first, that first one is linked to my activity in impact investing. So um, there is a myth that you cannot have investments that matter. Uh, either you do philanthropy uh, or you're an NGO or either you're super capitalistic. It's like there's no uh, middle ground there. It's true that it, it was not mainstream and it's still not mainstream and it's not the standard, but it is becoming more and more widespread because people are recognizing and investors are, are recognizing that if we don't go that route, uh, well, actually, we are doomed. Look at climate change. I'm coming from Geneva. The last three weeks, it was 35 degrees. This is totally not normal for the region. Absolutely not. I've traveled a lot. I've seen a lot of droughts in many countries, which are also creating biodiversity problems. And I believe that if we can use finance as a vehicle to make good in the world, then why not do that? Um, so that is one of the biggest myths I'm facing every day in what I do. Another myth, I would say, uh, more coming from um, the entrepreneurs themselves that want to launch an idea. Uh, I totally concur with you that they want to do something big. And, and also, they, they also believe it's easy. A, a, a lot of entrepreneurs, these are the ones that fail, to, to be very clear, um, that think that, okay, yeah, I will, I will have a startup. I will make a lot of money, do an exit, and uh, have a unicorn. Like, like because they, they look at the stories that are you know, on social media, or they look at Elon Musk, and they say, wow, I'm going to be the next one. And they think it's easy, and they get in only for easy money. Well, actually, nothing is easy in life, especially when you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> so that, for me, is also a huge myth coming from um, the, 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 the startups themselves. Thank you. To find out more about our guests, find links to information shared in this episode, or to listen again, you can find us permanently on the Nairobi Ideas podcast page at mawazoinstitute.org backslash podcast. You can also subscribe to the Nairobi Ideas podcast on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. The Nairobi Ideas podcast is brought to you by the Mawazo Institute. We are a Nairobi-based research organization that supports early career women researchers as they work to find solutions to local and global development challenges. In Kiswahili, Mawazo means ideas. New episodes of the podcast drop once a week on Thursdays. Till then, from all of us here at Mawazo Institute, bye and keep it nerdy.